All right, launch it in. This is Connected to Classics. My name is Will Hagel. My name is Lee. This might be the best music podcast currently out there. This is the best music podcast currently out there. That isn't what? I was going to say that isn't a uh, deep dive on one topic. Hey, you know more than I know. And I know that every week we listen to a little John Cale, we listen to a little J.J. Cale, and we explain the podcast is we each pick an album and we connect to the other person's album using tangential references in the style of Kevin Bacon. What album did you pick this week? We got a theme, too. Yeah, we got a theme. So uh, the theme is tours or touring, which is an incredibly hard theme to say. Some people might say tour, depending on what part of the country you're from. Tour? Tour. You're going on tour. Who said? What part of the country says that? Uh, definitely in Montana, people would say tour. Uh, well, I'll make sure like, to never stop there if I ever go on tour. <laughs> tour. Um, would you ever go on a podcast tour? Would I go on a podcast tour? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a really fun theme. It's you know pretty crucial to the history of music, even beyond recorded music, and uh, the album I chose was Paul McCartney and Wings, Band on the Run. And you know what I'm thinking now that you said that podcasts are usually only discovered on the internet, but like music is now discovered on the internet too, but in the old times, people had to go out and tour, tar. So I think more podcasts, more unsuccessful podcasts should go on tour. Well, to like we spread have... their word to the different regions. For the, the deep fans out there we have done one live performance and i thought it actually went pretty well yeah i mean i'm a big fan of live podcasts in general and obviously a lot of podcasts now that are successful and have like fans who will actually show up and buy tickets do live shows but i think that's kind of a good like i want to see more just you know i show up to a bar and there's like a live podcast going on love that and uh, maybe like a german bar yeah Uh, (laughs) but i fired back with uh the tragically hip, the the tragically hip, man machine poem. Loved it. Nice. I feel like I can always count on you to introduce me to some like mid two thousands indie rock, and this did not disappoint. And I actually introduced myself to this album this week, but we'll get into that later because you fired first with wings. I want to hear why you picked wings. I mean, actually, when you fired with that, I was like angry because I was like tours band on the run damn he got me he won the episode already <laughs> that's such a great uh pick i do think you know as i learned about yours we'll talk about it I, i'm gonna give you the nod in terms of on theme uh for me though like you mentioned band on the run obvious uh and then the other two sort of ideas where um i had saw a funny fact on reddit about the beatles last show was actually not like a success they played to like a smaller audience and there was a bunch of unsold tickets this was in 1966 so i just thought that was an interesting sort of bit about the beatles that they're like they're so famous and yet their last show they ever played wasn't even that big of a success why uh, not 
I don't know. I, if I had to guess, it's because their like concerts were probably even unlistenable. People were just screaming the whole time, and it wasn't like a good experience. Hmm. I find that but, hard to believe for some reason. I'm not sure. Either way, it's a funny factoid. Uh, to think that there were seven thousand out of a twenty, you know, thirty thousand seat venue to see the were, Beatles. Like, yeah, I just don't believe this for some reason because they, right. they were like such a huge band. I mean, I Nin believe it. I didn't know they went out like Elvis. Nineteen sixty-six Candlestick Park in in San Francisco. Damn. Um. Anyways, third one is that uh, growing up, my parents had the the CD Wings on tour. So for some reason, I always associated it with Wings and being like a live band or something. Yeah. So, playing around anyway should i Paul launch McCartney in or do you want to do you want to talk about yours or should i jump jump us i just want to say that i just want to brag that i saw paul mccartney live oh that is true that's a good one i might have said this on the podcast before but when i was in high school my parents had tickets to see paul mccartney at i have said this on the podcast but i'll say it again they had tickets to see paul mccartney at wrigley field and i decided not to go and like i don't even remember what i did that night just some stupid teenager stuff yeah and then it came full circle and I saw Paul McCartney at Dodger Stadium. And nice. he puts on a great show for being an old man. And like he plays a lot of the wings stuff too. And you know, like I feel like this was his solo stuff after the Beatles, right? Basically his next band. It is. And this is kind of his first commercial success. His first couple albums are critically kind of a flop, and people are like, Oh, John Lennon's more successful than you, blah, blah, blah. Because he's kind of boring, I guess, compared to John Lennon. John Lennon just kind of had that something about him. And I guess everyone had their own Beatle that they connected to, just like Spice Girls or whatever. Yeah. But Paul McCartney, I got to give him his cred credit for songwriting and performance chops. Yeah. And I think no, perfect ahead. segue. The song I chose off the album, he actually waited until 2010 to perform. Ooh. Even though this album came out in 1973. This is 1985. Sorry, real oh. quick. Blown away that this sounds like proto house music to me. I don't know if you got that listening to this. Also, right that there. Seed. Yeah, with I like that seed. And with that piano line, I'm like, I'm surprised Dr. Dre didn't like sample that. Like, bum, bum. It almost sounds like still DRE. Yeah, I looked it up. No one, at least in terms of according to who sampled, has sampled this like famous, but it does feel ripe for uh, Get on it. a flip or something. You could like All slow right. it down, chop it up. All right, launch it in. Launch in. Floor on the floor. Hey, some fans, when they're touring and they stay in a hotel, they got to sleep four on the floor. <laughs> I'll give you points for that. Only thing that's like classic Paul McCartney is he just has to sing with this goofy ass voice. He's like, you know, <laughs> instrumentally, it's it's like perfect. So I was thinking of that. I kind of think of him as like he's doing like a country music like imitation, and I'm like, I almost think of Paul McCartney as American. I know, right? Or like Canadian. I feel like he probably is like basically half British, half American at this point. Yeah.
This part just amazing. Ooh, I even thought maybe it sounds like Justice, like the French house stuff Ooh. that would come, you know, 60 years later. They're basically doing this with synthesizers. Yeah. I guess Justice is 50 years, not 60. A lot of like changes too, like this part, you know? Like different sections and not oh, very yeah. like typical verse chorus verse. When the whole album too has just like callbacks to the the two big hits. I don't know if you caught that. I didn't, but you know more than I know. It's like uh, Jet and Band on the Run both have just like interstitials or you know, they'll like fade into a song just to hook. I like that. I like this but, album a lot more than I expected. As I was yeah. taking notes, I wrote, you, you brought up Jet. I wrote Jet was my favorite song. Yeah, and Jet's a winner. Later on, I was like, Mrs. Vanderbilt is my favorite song. Dude, it's just that same. I would have chosen that, but I really loved just like the the proto house of this song. It was yeah, no, this is super interesting. And then you got Picasso's Last Words. It's like a drinking anthem. So that's Blue a great Bird's one. Got the sax. Great one to bring up. Uh, I read, so th they went to Nigeria for this album. I don't know if you saw that. Oh. He had this idea that he was going to like record in an exotic place. Ended up being incredibly disappointed because <laughs> it was like war torn and a lot of poverty. They ended up getting robbed at one point. But uh, that song you mentioned, La Picasso's Last Words, um, Ginger Baker, the drummer from Cream, was uh, in Nigeria at the time and he uh, plays percussion on that song. Wow. He came by the studio for it, so fun fact. Was that like Fela Kuti was like popping at the time and like people were interested in Nigerian music and the Beatles kind of originated cultural appropriation, British Empire going in and taking You're just Indian setting music. me up perfect. So the other story. We don't oh, plan wait, wait. this. Sorry, sorry, I'm going to pause it because this is a great part of the song. Guitar solo is coming up. Um, Fela Kuti comes by this, the recording studio and confronts Paul McCartney and says like, are you here just like culture vulturing our music? Wow. Like, get out of Nigeria. And Paul McCartney has to like plead to him like, no, we're like, I promise we're not like stealing your music. And he even ends up playing him tracks from the album to prove like, see, it doesn't sound anything like what you're doing. I just wanted to come to Nigeria to record an album. Uh, all right. Gave points to Paul McCartney. But yeah, pretty funny you called that out because I think that was definitely uh, a fear because this is 1973. So they're probably recording in like 71 or 72, which is totally like Afrobeat is bubbling up in West Africa. Yeah. So yeah, great not, call. All yeah. right. Anything else before I jump us back? No. All right. Just that they were touring the world. The other part to me is the way the drums are like a, almost a disco-y house. It's, it's... You know who's playing guitar? I don't actually. Other than it's Ooh, probably... these drums are nasty though. Yeah. Paul McCartney plays bass, right? So I think he did a lot of the production on this album because 
it's just him and his wife, Linda, and then uh, one other member, Denny Lane. And two of the other members dropped out before this album, so he's doing a lot of the production. Definitely proto EDM. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> no way. Is this part of it? I don't remember this. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's great. Get to start with a bang here. Holy shit. I'm going to give you a million points for that. I'm going to give the points straight to Paul McCartney. Yeah, please do. Um, that was great, though. Love it. Great pick. Are you done? All right, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's switch to uh, Tragically Hip because I think that's also an equally great choice for our tours theme. Yeah, and so the reason I picked this album, the Tragically Hip Man Machine Poem, we don't plan this, but I also got my inspiration from Reddit because nice. I was I was wondering, like, are there any bands that broke up after a tour in like a legendary way where their egos got entangled, like Oasis or something like that? Do you know of any examples like that? I'm sure it has to have happened. Yeah, I've got one coming up that we'll talk about later. Wow, you know more than I know because I couldn't find that. But I did find a Reddit thread called Are There Any Examples of a Band Actually Doing One Last Tour? Not like LCD Sound System who called it that and then they came back or you know, yeah. every band does a reunion tour or whatever. And the top comment was about the Tragically Hip. I was kind of surprised I'd never heard of them because they're super popular but mostly popular in Canada, <clears throat> which is always interesting because like, Canada is so close to the US and culturally close to, but um, they have, you know, like some bands who are super popular there that don't make it big here. Yeah. And the story, how it connects to tours is they, in uh, 2016, May 2016, they announced that the singer Gord Downey had been diagnosed with brain cancer. Yeah. And the next day they announced their tour behind Man Machine Poem. 15 show tour going from Victoria, British Columbia, across Canada, and ending with a final show in their hometown, Kingston, Ontario. And the tour sold out immediately. Scalpers drove up the prices, which actually ultimately led to Ontario passing a law banning ticket buying bots, which I thought was interesting. Oh, wow. Um, but so, you know, big popular band, they really got to say goodbye in kind of a sad but celebratory way and then this ended up being their last tour because Gord Downey passed away and I found a video of Justin Trudeau crying during a press conference talking about him about how he like you know really talked about the Canadian experience he also did a lot of like activism for indigenous Canadian issues and like the environment and stuff like that but we can get more into it Let's launch, unless you got anything to say about the album. No, no, I just love that you already touched on it, but just to hammer it home to the listeners, like this tour was the last show. I think the guy dies pretty soon afterwards. And like, I think 11 million people watched the performance of the last 
show in their hometown and he wore this like shiny silver suit there's video of it uh character so here we go launching into tired as fuck <laughs> lee's reacting i think he picked this one too standout song kind of sounds like wings right here too we just pick all the same songs now it's ridiculous <laughs> The greedy palace has been keeping me up. I was even getting a little bit of like King Cruel copying this vibe. Ooh. Or that like British, you know, alt rock thing that happened in the late 2010s. Yeah, so I was getting like Arcade Fire, Broken Social Scene. Definitely Broken Social Canadian Sense. Did you see that was uh, it was produced by the guy? Yeah, so, and I guess yeah. they'd collaborated. Gord Downey collaborated also on his solo stuff with Kevin Drew from Broken Social Scene, which it's interesting that like Broken Social Scene and Arcade Fire both broke big over here, but the Tragically Hip didn't as much. It's odd. I honestly liked this more than I'd ever heard from either band. Yeah, and the other thing about the Tragically Hip is like this is their last album, and it's their thirteenth full length album. And if you go back to like the late 80s, they're basically doing like Rolling Stones kind of stuff like rock and roll. And then like early 90s, they kind of go into like a REM, Bare Naked Ladies kind of alt rock style and then get more like indie rock, broken social scene. And then this is very different than a lot of their other stuff. But I quickly skimmed their other albums and I wanted to do this one because of the tour story, but it was also my favorite. And I found it like if you look up lists of top tragically hip albums, sometimes this is towards the top. Sometimes this is like the last one. So I think it's kind of a split opinion. But that also shows just how much music they had and that people connect to different albums. So the top comment is redditor miss emily jane 42 shout out she said he let us say he let us say goodbye to the band and made sure to spread one last oh wait i like this line a lot i'm gonna play it back yeah it's so good it's like tired as fuck i want to stop so much i almost don't want to stop which is great, especially in the context of knowing that he has brain cancer and died. Yeah. But also, like, that could be applied to tours, you know, the slog of the road. Anyways, Miss Emily Jane 42 said, He let us say goodbye to the band and made sure to spread one last message of reconciliation to millions of Canadians who never completely understood or even cared about indigenous issues before Gord said anything. So, beloved figure. As one of the tracks is called, he seems like a great soul. Man, 
were diagnosed with like a terminal illness and you were a musician, would you go on one last tour? Yeah, I think you gotta. It must, from his perspective, it must have been crazy too. Like, probably really appreciating after this long career, you know, like these fans giving him respect and enjoying his art. So I think it's one of those bands like Bruce Springsteen to New Jersey or U2 to Rich Boomers. The Tragically yeah. Hip just rec represent Canada. <laughs> but I'll pass it back. All right. Getting us off here. <laughs> getting us started off here. Um, getting us off. Getting us off. So I'm going to take a little detour, which you might do if you're on tour. <laughs> But uh, I alluded to before this Paul McCartney song. It's 1973, so it's honestly pretty early for disco and very early for any kind of like disco transitioning into the the sound that would become house music. Um, but when I went online, the consensus seems to be the first disco song attributed to sort of the sound that would become disco is from Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. The Love I Lost. I don't think you've played this. Don't think so. Uh, but yeah, so I wanted to just give the listeners sort of a contrast here between what we heard before from Paul McCartney jumping into something that's credited as the first disco song. Uh, for those who are wondering, kind of the way disco appears is you've got soul music, uh, you know, in the 60s, and you've got James Brown kind of doing funk. And the two are sort of blended together to, I think, what we would ultimately call disco. And sort of Boogie appears in parallel to disco later on in the, in the 70s. But uh, for this specific song, this group's out of Philadelphia, which is very like famous for Philly soul, which I think is, a, is a definitely a precursor to a lot of the stuff that disco would use, especially like uh, big, like, choruses with strings and big arrangements um, so we'll jump into just kind of giving listeners sort of an idea of what they're listening to this is the love i lost you're saying wings took inspiration from this <clears throat> no what i'm saying is i'm blown away that like paul mccartney <coughs> basically like releasing releasing proto disco house at the same time Got you. Yeah. And I'm amazed no one else has talked about this because it's pretty nuts. This is also 1973, so it's the same year. Wow. Uh, he's just sniffing around. I mean, clearly he doesn't know what he's doing because this song you'll see is much more like formed and coherent. And like, as we were commenting, the Paul McCartney song was kind of goofy at parts. And like, yeah, he didn't really know what he was doing. But the, the like piano parts where he kind of jammed with it was was awesome. He was at he the was forefront of the vibe shift. Yeah, I just didn't really realize what he was doing. Pay attention to the drums for sure. Mm 
So my connection for touring is the remaining members of the Blue Notes have reunited for the Soul Train cruises in 2013, <laughs> 2015, and 2017. Cruises are like a weird tour where you're trapped <laughs> on the yeah. tour bus. You're in the same place, but you go to different places. Yeah. Disco drums, but before that it was like three kick drums, which is interesting. Like, yeah. just to give listeners i know we've talked about disco demolition night where they burned all the disco records in chicago that's 1979 so this is 1973 so still quite a while before disco crystallizes Teddy Pendergrass on vocals. Mm. Uh, this is kind of one of those bands that, you know, kind of hangs around for several iterations. We talked about the Temptations before, similar. But Teddy uh, Pendergrass would go on to have a pretty successful solo career. Great voice. I'm so sad and lonely. But without you, my life is so dead. I'm sorry to say You go your way And I'll go my way It hurts deep inside I just had a dumb thought But it might be worth talking about Just how like the voice is one of the only instruments Where it's like you can't Buy it necessarily Like you can't buy totally. a Stratocaster voice And it's like you're born with it And then also you can use it In so many different ways compared to most instruments and some people like Teddy Pendergrass just have it. They just got soul. I will say though, as someone who has always felt like I don't have a very good voice, uh, but you know, my wife can definitely sing. She's always told me that like there's a, a good amount of like uh, form, I guess is how you maybe say it, that will like actually significantly improve your singing voice. You maybe yeah. won't be Teddy Pendergrass, but like if you don't know how to sing, it's a bit like being like. I'm not good at golf. I just go up there and whack the golf ball. True. Like, you can practice and perfect it, but, and like, it's been studied over the years. I think, too, that's why, like, a lot of people start with gospel. It's like, in the church, like, someone might be teaching you kind of how to sing at a young age or something like that, you know? Yeah, and, you know, talented people might have an easier time figuring it out. Yeah, for sure. It was a good love. I lost it. She was a sweet love. Sorry, I lost I thought I had you right here in my hands, but I lost it. I thought I had you all to myself. Sorry, I lost it. I didn't realize. I didn't realize exactly I lost it. But come on back home. I lost it. Come on back home, baby. Sorry, I lost it. Come on back home, baby. I lost it. So more 
tour trivia facts for you. So when Teddy Pendergrass um, goes solo, I mentioned he was pretty successful. Um, he had a sort of a shrewd, innovative manager who noticed that at one of his sold-out shows, it was mostly women uh, and women of all races. So he devised a plan for uh, the next tour to have uh, Teddy play to only female audiences, which started a trend that still exists where it's like women-only concerts. Wow, interesting. feels very much like a break beat of this could totally be a disco yeah just loop that or like early hip-hop too was taken sure. from like disco kind of beats too yeah yeah definitely i was thinking of that uh early hip-hop flyer where it's like the party in the bronx and it says fellas are a dollar and ladies are 50 cents or something <laughs> nice. like that and just like yeah like how usually women can get into shows free or cheaper yeah that's uh, great but i like the idea of the all women tour that's very interesting i don't know why well i googled it more because you know i started thinking to myself i was like that feels like that would totally get taken to court yeah because it's discriminatory and stuff but it's also yeah. like yeah why not just but do it's the it, 70s you know? and 80s yeah like, flew then i guess um all right you pass it back yeah, I'll pass it. Great connection, though. Going back to my connections, we left off in Canada with the tragically hip and Gord Downey, who was tired as fuck, tragically died too young. Moving south to the USA, there's an artist who represented America like Gord Downey represented Canada. Do you know who I'm talking about? In the south? Or no, just in, south of Canada in the USA. Oh. But also in the south, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. That's New Jersey. That's not America. Okay. I'm talking about Toby Keith. Nice. And we are an evergreen podcast, but <laughs> Toby Keith recently passed away from stomach cancer. RIP. Rest in peace, Toby Keith and Gord Downey. Not trying to make light of either of their uh, deaths illnesses. and illnesses, but thought I'd pay tribute to Toby Keith with his 1997 song, Tired. Nice connection. Little ballad, slow it down here. My name is Jackson, I was named after my father. Followed in his footsteps down here to this factory. 
Talking about working at a factory like Bruce Springsteen. Two years before disco demolition. Church on Sundays cause we wanna go to heaven. Me and my family that how you supposed to do. But I'm tired. Lord, I'm tired. Life is when we smooth down to the No risk for the weary, just move on. So Toby Keith has a great list of tour titles. 2003, he was on the Shockin' Y'all, Shockin' Y'all tour. Love it. 2006, White Trash with Money tour. 2007, Hookin', hookin Up and Hangin' Out tour. Then later that year, Big Dog Daddy Tour. Wait, when is Hooking Up Hanging Out? 2007. Is that before Netflix and Chill? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Netflix and Chill is a way better way of just hanging out and hanging out. Very straightforward. That was with Miranda Lambert, Trace Atkins, and Josh Grayson. Then he's got the biggest and baddest tour, 2008, America's toughest tour, the Hammer Down tour, and then the Hammer Down Under tour. <laughs> shut up and hold on tour, which I think is a great thing to call your tour. I don't know why. Just shut up and hold on. Uh, 2015, another hooking up and hanging out kind of title, Good Times and Pickup Lines. And then 2016, Interstates and Tailgates tour which nice. I feel like is like probably describes Toby Keith's kind of tour in. So Wiki says first use of Netflix and Chills 2009. So Toby Keith takes the, the belt on that. <laughs> Ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah, I feel like too with like country artists, there's something where, you know, interstates and tailgates, like something about the big open road and, you know, like these concert tours on a big scale can kind of be events where people are like tailgating and partying and uh, yeah I don't know I guess he was planning a tour for 2024 which is kind of sad and he said in an interview in 2023 that he could play for three hours on stage if, if he had to despite his cancer um and then he ended up playing a few sold-out shows in Vegas in 2023 that ended up being his last shows. So if you had to plan a tour for yourself, where are you going to make sure you go to? I'm going worldwide. Wow, world tour. Yeah. I've actually, like, really always wanted to do a tour of Europe. And, like, for whatever reason, I feel like Europe is kind of open, like, with underground hip-hop especially, I've heard, you know, Europe is like, yeah, come and tour because, you know, people don't come there as much as they big acts come to these American cities. And so, like, 
in the past I had made some songs and I even just emailed some venues around Europe and people were surprisingly receptive to it, but I never nice. actually did it. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to tour Europe. What about you? Well, to your point, it's definitely a cool way to like to do traveling. I mean, I guess I was going to say tourism, but it's literally in the word. Um, Cause, Cause you I, have a job I, to do. Exactly. So like, yeah. You know, at one of my old jobs where I worked at a radio station, a lot of the the DJs there were touring musicians or touring DJs. And like, honestly, they would already probably have the trip planned a lot of the times, at mm-hmm. least to one spot. And then they would just like make a tour out of, well, if I'm already in Europe, then like I'll go to Amsterdam, I'll go to Berlin, I'll, I'll hit up sort of these big cities where I know I can get a, a gig or two and then make like a reason to see the city and, you know, connect with old friends and stuff. So then, you know, it really gets you thinking about like touring is, is almost in a sense, like a networking thing for musicians in a sense. hundred percent it is. And just like reaching the local audience that, you know, like it's really important for, for bands that aren't super famous doing these huge tours to go on the road and spread their music. That's why I was saying with podcasts, it could be something that happens down the line too, even with, you know, less popular podcasts and stuff like that. I also, I had a guy who contacted me in Ireland when my book was coming out and he planned like a seven city tour around like the UK and uh, France and Germany and stuff and Netherlands. And I was super excited to do it, but we tried to get someone to sponsor it and they didn't sponsor it. So it ended up falling through, but I still got to go to Ireland and like, even that was, you know, connecting with local people. It's a big difference compared to just, having people, you know, see your stuff on the internet or whatever, like the in-person connection is huge. Yeah, I totally agree. So to answer your original question, I think somewhere in Europe for sure um, is easy, standard. And then like I heard good things about, surprisingly, um, Ukraine was a fun place for people. They said when they would play shows there. This is obviously before the Crimea and resulting conflict there. Um, And then another one... I think would be fun is to go somewhere up into like Scandinavia. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to go to, you know, Gaza, Ukraine, Yemen, hit all the hot spots. All right. Moving on here. We left off with Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, which I had pointed out. Teddy Pendergrass is the lead singer at that era of the band, uh, which I always thought was interesting. You know, he did go on to be the bigger name and a lot of times people would ask like why isn't called teddy pendergrass and the blue notes which got me thinking about on tour there's got to be instances in time where there's a bigger band opening for a, another band that you know at the time you just don't know how big they are so that brings us to our quiz portion of Ooh. the evening i've got three concerts where i'll give you two bands you got to tell me who was the opener and who was the headliner Okay. And listeners, you can follow along here at home. All right. Number one, do you want me to give you the year of the, the concert? Yeah, give me or the, is that give too me the much year. help? Is that too uh, much help? Give me the year. Give me the year. All right. Or maybe 19- not. I don't know. Give me the 19- year if I need it. 1967. Okay. You've got the Monkees and Jimi Hendrix. <sighs> well, now, because I think you're trying to trick me, I'm thinking Jimi Hendrix opened for the Monkees. Correct. I shouldn't tell you the year. It's too easy. Uh, so the, shortly... the year wouldn't have helped me on that. It's more the format of thinking that yeah. it's going to be the opposite, but we'll see. 
So this is shortly before Purple Haze. That would become, you know, a major hit for Jimmy about six months later. Uh, he ended up quitting after seven shows. Uh, and he was on record saying, they gave us the death spot on the show. Right before the monkeys were due on, the audience just screamed and yelled for the monkeys. Finally, they agreed to let <laughs> us go on first and things were much better. That's funny. Because I was thinking too, like that's a common thing with tours is fans will put on like uh, artists that they think won't do as well as them so that they sound a lot better. Yeah. I mean, it's some of that too with comedy. I know we're, we're not I was going to say with comedy, podcast, yeah. but definitely heard a lot of co comedians talk about that as well. And I've heard like Joe Rogan, not to bring him up, sorry, hit me the gavel, but <laughs> that at least he claims he likes to do the opposite and bring up like the best people so that it's just a good show all around. But I yeah. think he probably does a little of that too. All right, we'll go next one here. We've got The Who and The Clash. Ooh, we'll be getting into The Who later. I'm going to say The Clash open for The Who. Nice, two for two. It's billed as the Who's Farewell Tour. This is 1982. So even though we're at the basically peak of the Clash's commercial, like, uh, mainstream rise. Um, and this is the example I was thinking of where the band actually breaks up after this tour. Wow. One last tour. Yep. All right. Third one here. We've got the Rolling Stones and Prince. And I just want to say on the Who, uh, yeah. I feel like the Who to influence a lot of punk bands so that was my thinking on that one um nailed it okay prince and the rolling stones so when i was looking up the top grossing tours of all time the rolling stones were on the list of having like in every decade they had like the top grossing tours and they're still touring which is insane so i might be wrong on this one but i'm gonna say prince open for the rolling stones Wow, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you 100 points for being 100% correct. Woo! This is 1981. Prince hadn't hit mainstream exactly. I think Red Corvette is a couple years after. Um, he went on stage in a trench coat and bikini bottom <laughs> and was pelted with vegetables and homophobic slurs forcing him off the stage. Wow. Launching into the album he was touring with, was called Contemporary. This song is Jack You Off. Prince. Get, get us off. So just imagine a bunch of like Rolling Stones fans just yelling the F word at Prince while he sings Jack You Off. Wait, F word like a slur against gay people? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, album's called Controversy, not Contemporary. I don't think I know this song. It's almost like... Sounds like a baseball stadium organ. Yeah, it's pretty silly. Yeah. Put it in the school apartment with Paul McCartney, a weird bubblegum silly song. Yeah. 
So I, I was reading that despite being booed off and, you know, had Odrick's thrown at him, he did show up the next night for the next show. Even though ultimately he ended up uh, quitting the tour. Oh, damn. I mean, honestly, it's probably not a great pairing. I always wonder how that comes together. Like, do you think the Rolling Stones saw, like, Prince is a great artist or it just kind of came together because of the labels or whatever? Well, that's what I was trying to find, uh, you know, ideas on. Um, it wasn't clear to me who, who initiated it. Because, like, Prince isn't a nobody, but relative to the Rolling Stones and especially their audience, they don't know who the hell he is. Right. There is something to these, like, mega tours too where you can put together a lineup where people are gonna be like oh i gotta get go see this tour it's like i remember in the 90s or early 2000s it came through my hometown champaign illinois five points and it was like papa roach eminem and limp biscuit and i was like wow rap rock at its peak so the only other context i can find here is that you know, it, it became kind of a thing. So the next town they went to, the people came even more prepared to throw things at him. Mm. I think that's why he ultimately decided to leave. I just want to say, too, I also saw the Foozer tour, where it was Foo Fighters, Weezer, and Kaiser Chiefs. And on that one, I'm pretty sure Weezer and Foo Fighters took turns of who played first and who headlined which is kind of a cool way to do it. But that's another example of like a big tour where it's two huge names. That was just a random thought. Almost like a complimentary tour. Yeah. All right, you pass it back? I'll pass it. All right, well, we left off with Toby Keith, rest in peace, country music legend. As another country music legend, Alan Jackson says, where I come from, it's cornbread and chicken. Where I come from, it's a lot of porch sitting. Which brings me to my next connection. Already was talking about it. Champaign, Illinois, five points is where I'm from. Uh, gonna go into a band who recorded all of their tours at one point and put them out on bootleg CDs. Not the Grateful Dead. This next song was captured at the first concert I ever attended, the first tour I ever saw. Went with my dad. This is uh, from Champaign, Illinois at the Assembly Hall in 2003. Pearl Jam performing Porch. One, two, three. What the fuck is this around to you didn't leave a message list Another goofy voice like Paul McCartney Goofy voice like Paul McCartney kind of cool to have like recording from the first concert I ever went to I think you've said this before but what was your first concert ever uh, Modest Mouse Ooh, that's a good one you feeling this right now I didn't think you'd be feeling this. I'm trying. (laughs) 
guitar solo like wings. Jimi Hendrix. Almost sounds a bit like uh, Slash. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you know the answer to this because I talk about it relentlessly. But what do you think is the order of this lineup that I saw? I'm not going to give you the year. Kendrick Lamar, Freddie Gibbs, Jizza. Say it again. Kendrick Lamar, Freddie Gibbs, and Jizza. Gibbs, Jizza, Lamar. So this was 2010 at the Echoplex, and it was a Jizza show. The opener was Kendrick Lamar. Nice. There was like barely. I talk about this all the time, so if anyone listening to this knows me, they're probably sick of me talking about this. But Kendrick Lamar was the opener, and I remember he walked out and he was like, Oh, I love the intimate shows because there was like no one there. Yeah, yeah. And he just crushed it doing stuff from like Kendrick Lamar EP. And then uh, Freddie Gibbs was second, but to me, Freddie Gibbs was like kind of who I wanted to see, and he was like huge at the time too. And then obviously Jizz as the legend, so he headlined. But is that a show. show you were to because you got tickets from the radio station? No, I think I just went because I wanted to see Jizza. But this song is eight minutes long, mostly guitar solos, so I'm gonna fade it out and go on a quick run, like I'm touring. Just run into the next place. Uh, at this concert, Pearl Jam ended their set with a cover of The Who's Bob O'Reilly. I've already been talking about The Who. Just a side note on that, I had the thought that hip-hop acts can't really do covers like a rock band can. Kind of like, can you imagine? That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, like... YG performing Rap the message lyrics. or something. Yeah, like someone else's lyrics. You can't really do it. People don't even do their verses if it's like a feature. True. But that's just a weird thing I thought about. Um, but let's see if I can do this. I want you to Is see this. Is that the only genre? Uh, I mean, I guess electronic music too, but even that, you're kind of DJing and you can like play it or whatever, you know? So... So yeah, I mean, I guess it's because like rapping is such a vocal thing that, again, it's like the voice of it. You can't really do someone else's voice, but I guess singers do it. I don't know. It's weird. Like it would be just very strange to do. Yeah, yeah, I know. I can't even imagine it. Whereas it's not weird to do in rock music. Like in any genre. Classical. Yeah. Country. Yeah, true. Got Fast Car by Luke Combs. <laughs> All right. We're evergreen. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is the Who classic performance on one of their tours. And you were talking about a Herman before. The Who once went on tour with Herman's Hermits, but that's just a side note. This is the, I think, 1967, I might be wrong about the year, Monterey Pop Festival where uh, they smash their guitars and instruments at the end. So we're watching the video. I encourage everyone to watch the video. Who does the Who? Who? <laughs> My generation. Do you know my Which, dad actually had a band? Your dad did? Yeah, called My Generation. No way. 
You're just saying that to mess with me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. I know, I wasn't going to repeat that. But that is a connection to the last connection. That's my dad. <laughs> I know we've listened to this song before. No, it's fun to watch it live. I was also looking up controversial tours, and I saw someone who commented that he saw The Who in the early 70s and Keith Moon collapsed. Townsend chatted with the audience for 11 minutes or so. Moon walked back on stage to a thunderous war and they started playing. And then after 15 seconds, he fell backwards and they had to carry him off. And then Townsend said, does anyone here play drums? And a guy came up and finished the set with the band. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, and at the Monterey Pop Festival that we're listening to now, The Who apparently argued backstage with Jimi Hendrix about the running order. Nice. And then they agreed to go on first following a coin toss. And the filmmaker D.A. Pennebaker was filming this performance. So I guess some of their early tours descended into violence too because they would go over their set length and they would just put the curtain down on them. And they would like trash their hotel rooms on tour. Right now we're watching um, a Stratocaster being smashed against an amp. Crowd's loving it. Mic stands falling, guitars breaking in half. The Clash, famous for breaking their guitars too. He's just absolutely wrecking it, spinning in circles. Guy runs out and grabs the mic. Keith Moon kicks over his drum set. So it makes sense, you know, the Clash opened for The Who, because like I was saying, The Who I think was pretty influential on uh, punk rock and kind of just having that crazy energy, um, but I'll pass it back. So you got me thinking, you said coin toss. I feel like we have to talk a bit about the day the music died. That's a pretty famous touring story gone wrong. Um, I guess there's a quite a bit actually of touring crashes and whatever that's killed people but for the day the music died do you know that story no uh it's a tour with buddy holly i think he's the main uh musician but you had richie valens the big bopper um and then a couple other people i think dion and the belmonts had joined the tour but uh at that time i think this is 1959 um, so, you know, travel isn't the most modern. Um, you had to charter a plane at that time if you wanted to fly around. Otherwise, people were oftentimes riding on buses, which I guess took a while and like were pretty cold, especially if you're touring in the winter. So 
Buddy Holly charters a plane to go to their next tour spot, um, which ends up crashing. And what it's famous for is uh, Waylon Jennings was supposed to be on the plane, but he gets swapped out for the big bopper who has the flu at the time, so they don't want him taking the bus. Um, and then Richie Valens, the La Bamba um, singer, ends up winning a seat against, uh, let's see, who did he... Uh, whoever Alsop is must be one of the band members for Buddy Holly. Anyways, he wins a seat on the plane by a coin toss. They they uh, flip a coin to see who gets to go on the plane, and the plane ends up crashing, and everyone on it died. And that's Damn. what bad luck Don McLean is referring to in American Pie when he says the day the music died. Wow, so many connections there. I don't even know what to say. Like I know it's a lot. on wings. I have no words. Yeah, it's a lot. All right. Just you said coin toss, it made me think of that because that's like a famous scene. There's a movie that goes over that incident, and um, they flip a coin to see if Richie Valens is going to get a spot on the plane. Wow! All right, are you able to kill the video frame? Um, yeah, oh, nice. perfect. All right, so we left off with Prince Jack you off. And, you know, we're talking about the grind of the tour. Prince gives up. But if you're, you know, dedicated enough, you're on the road again. That's my connection here. This is Canned Heat <laughs> on the road again. Ultimate touring anthem. Three. One, two, three. That's weird. All right. There it is. Is this a cover or original? Speaking of covers. Original. This isn't what I was thinking. I was thinking on the road again. Yeah, it's not Willie Nelson. Okay. But I feel like this is a perfect road tripping song. Oh, yeah. sung by the guitarist uh he actually doesn't really sing a lot of the songs but he um is born outside boston he's just obsessed with the blues so it's a white guy doing uh blues music He grows up in Arlington. Shout out uh, Austin, who works in Arlington, Massachusetts. And so the band's name, Can't Heat, is named after a Tommy Johnson 
song called The Canned Heat Blues, which is about an alcoholic who's so desperate for alcohol, he's drinking Sterno, which is called Canned Heat at the day. can pull up a different tragically hip song since you had the other one if that works for you i have up um the world possessed by the human mind all right. in the world so we we're talking about monterey pop festival another really important festival during that 60s hippie movement um Canned Heat, I don't think played Monterey, but they did play Woodstock. So I can imagine um, if you were on tour, you'd try to make it to Woodstock if you got invited. Oh, yeah. It's interesting, too, the difference between a tour and, like, a festival or, like, Sometimes a festival is a stop on a tour, but that's yeah. a big thing with like Coachella when they expanded to two weekends. Then all the bands were like, wait, we have a clause that says we can't perform anywhere else in Southern California at this time, but like that's yeah. our job. So then I think that's changed over the years and now there will be like a lot of little shows. I think actually Paul McCartney performed once at Harriet's Pappy Town in Joshua Tree, like around Coachella. Did he perform under his name or a different? No, Paul McCartney. I actually remember I almost drove over to see him, but I didn't do it. Uh, I was, this is a sort of a non sequitur, but I, when you had mentioned not going to Paul McCartney, um, I proposed as an icebreaker at work because they're always asking for icebreakers to talk about the like biggest concert you missed. Mm. What's I feel yours? Like Paul McCartney's going to be yours. Yeah. What's yours? Uh, mine's similar story. It was in college. I was given free tickets and free parking passes to see Yellow Magic Orchestra, who I didn't have any idea who that was at the time, but they're kind of like the Japanese craft work. Dang. And I uh, didn't go. Big blunder. Big blunder. <laughs> All, All right. right. Passing it back. Take us home here. All right. I'm going into wings. Is that fine? Do it. All right, so connection here. Paul McCartney once said the Who made some track that was the loudest, most rock and roll, raucous rock and roll roll, the dirtiest thing they'd ever done. It made me think, right, got to do it. I like that kind of geeking up. And we decided <laughs> to do the loudest, nastiest, sweatiest rock number we could. And they made Helter Skelter. That opening line of this is Band on the Run. Doesn't that remind you of Flight of the Concords? Uh, prettiest the girl in the room. Oh, oh, I was thinking it sounded a bit like Helter Skelter. Oh, 
No, no. Definitely sounds like a most beautiful girl in the room. Yeah, definitely shades of it. So I don't know about you, but when this is the title track, I was starting to psych myself out. I was like, is this the right song? I was like, I swear to God, it it sounds different than this. Well, because I feel like, too, it's another example of how their songs flow in these different ways, where it's like, what you remember from this is like, band on the run, and it's kind of like upbeat, whereas this is a slower start. Yeah, I really want to go on tour someday. I've always wanted to go on tour, and I'm jealous of touring musicians. Although, once you get older and you have kids and a family, it's like people Great excuse to a go lot on of time. Tour, then. Yeah, no, well, I think people will say, you know, like oh, I hate being away from my family, but they secretly kind of like it. And a lot of people bring their like families Neil with. Young. I could hear that. Canadian Neil Young. Quiz time. Do you know what the highest grossing tour of all time was? Rolling Stones. It's your girl, Taylor Swift, with $1 billion on the Eras tour. So many shifts in this. Very, like, epic quality of music. Well, I did read that he lost some you know of the number tapes two is? when they got robbed. Oh, so he damn. had to redo some of the songs. I think there was like some skeletons and stuff that he kind of had to rework when he got back from Nigeria. Some helter skeletons. So you know what number two is? Rolling Stones. tour. Elton John, Yellow Brick Road Tour. Wow. Number three. Okay, it's a more modern band from England. Oasis. Coldplay. Oh for three, folks. Band on the run. Band on the run. So like if Pearl Jam did this, you know, they came on stage and was like, Man on the run. It wouldn't be weird. But I don't know. Hip hop covers, no one's talking about it. Get the band on the 
I could imagine that Paul probably felt a lot of pressure to achieve success after they kind of split and John Lennon still making music. Yeah, but I think he did a better job than people thought. And like, Wings is also super popular with a lot of people who grew up with their music. So, you know, people were at the show I saw him at, people were as into the Wings stuff as they were. The Beatles stuff. Yeah, you kind of um, forced me into picking this song because you said you wanted someone to pick it, just a little background, but I liked some of the other songs on here. But, you know, Band on a Run was too good as a tour theme, uh, but I'll pass it back. Take us home. So just for the record, I just didn't want to pick the same song since I knew we were both going to pick Miss <laughs> Vanderbilt. So <laughs> should have done it for both albums. I have to just do this now because we picked the same songs. Yeah. Anyways, On the Road Again was going to go flawlessly into Makes You Tired as Fuck. But <laughs> we had to, to make another stop, unexpected stop here. Um, detour. Taking a detour. This is, I just love the title on this one. Uh, possessed by the human, what is it? In a world possessed by the human mind. This is launching. Nope, that's not it. That is tired as fuck, which I would honestly listen to again because it was great. Throw it in. No, I'll do... Um, This is definitely a arcade fire for sure. Yep. That's why I was curious, like, because this is 2016, so... Arcade fire has already been out for a while, so... I'm wondering how much they were influenced by Arcade Fire for this album. It was a great song. Like, 
this was the first album of theirs I listened to, whereas, you know, like most fans of theirs who were fans since the beginning, this is going to be the last one they listened to. And it's just, you know, when you approach someone's discography like that, it totally, you know, kind of even changes your perception of the band. That's well said. No words. I'm tired as fuck. like some emo second wave emo yeah I mean I think the singer really is just my favorite part yeah played this song. I feel like this is a pretty euphoric song. I'm sure they did, yeah. Girl, I was so afraid. You it's also interesting, like, I think they played a lot of their older stuff, but this tour was definitely about this album. So it's interesting, it's like their farewell tour, but also kind of on this album. But anyways, farewell to the tours episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you. We got five, four more episodes left. On our farewell tour. Yep, and then we'll be back. All right, good night.